This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today, we're going to be talking about the need to push for more diversity in the automotive industry. You know, when I got into this business way back in the last century, the only place that women could work in the auto industry really was in the design section. And even at that, they could only be in color and trim. Or they could be in HR. That was about it. Look at the advancements that have been made today. Mary Barrett. CEO of General Motors, a lot of automotive companies with women on their board. But guess what? It's not nearly enough. There's a long way to go on this. And to get into the discussion of what it's going to take to make that happen, I've got three experts, including Carla Bailo, the CEO for the Center of Automotive Research. Michelle Robinson, who is the director, director or what's it? President. The president of the Michigan Minority Development Council. And Cheryl Thompson, who is president Founder and CEO. Founder and CEO of CADIA, which is the Center for Automotive Diversity, Inclusion, and Advancement. I want to thank you all for taking the time to talk with me today about this. And Carla, I'll throw it out to you and then the rest of you join in. We've made a lot of progress. There's not nearly enough, though. Everybody, everybody in the industry recognizes it. What's holding it up? I think we've got two fundamental things. One is the pipeline. There's simply not enough diverse candidates coming into the automotive companies. And that's partly due to an image issue with automotive. It's not seen as cool and sexy. You know, you look at the recruiting lines at the universities. First of all, there's very few diverse candidates there. But then the automotive lines are really short, and then all the cool companies, let's call them cool and sexy, you know, Facebook and Google, the others have these long lines. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but we got to start making clear what is cool and happening and progressive in automotive, and we have to get that pipeline filled. And pipeline means we need a lot more people that look like us, you know, to be able to recruit the diverse candidates into STEM and hence into automotive. Michelle, I see you nodding your head. Now let's hear what you've got to say. No, she's exactly right. But I think to take it a step further, I think part of the issue is the pipeline also has to ensure that those people are given the opportunity in the right areas. So oftentimes women are pigeonholed into HR, into marketing, into areas that aren't necessarily operational. And those are the areas where you actually get the opportunity to lead and have responsibility for a P&L. Those are the things that put you in those C-suite roles. Um, and, and that's where I think we have to make a difference. That's one conversation about women, but when you start looking at ethnic minorities and you start looking at the automotive industry, it's dismal. It is dismal. 
It is. But speaking of operations, Cheryl, you came up through operations. You came up on the manufacturing side I, I at the Ford Motor Company. <laughs> you know, what, what kind of advice would you have to get, you know, the pipeline filled more? Well, I agree. I, the industry sometimes can look unattractive, but I think that's changing with new mobility and the technology and software. So much of it is changing. And I also agree with Michelle in that um, sometimes we don't see ourselves in these leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And so we don't tend to go for those positions that have P&L responsibility or take the operational roles. And that's really what can position us for the C-suite. The other thing that I will say is I think that the way we hire and assess talent and recruit talent needs to change mm -hmm. because yes, there's a pipeline issue, but I'm not sure we're looking in all the right places. Mm -hmm. So as far as what advice I would give from my experience, because I started off on the floor. I mean, my first job actually was washing dishes in the basement of World Headquarters at Ford Motor Company. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got to start someplace. That's, that's right, but you know, I was really lucky because they were trying to recruit more women and minorities into the skilled trades. Mm. And so I raised my hand and found out I was going to be a tool and die maker. Had no idea what that was, if I was going to make tools and dye them. <laughs> but I, you know, jumped into it, ended up at the Rouge Complex. What a great foundation mm. for engineering. And I was lucky enough to have a mentor, who I'll call now an advocate, who said, you know, a lot of dye makers have gone into engineering. And he opened up his network to me, and I got an opportunity that I probably wouldn't have had if he hadn't have kind of taken me under his wing. So, you know, I think having mentors, sponsors, and people who are willing to open up that access to opportunity and network. How do we pick up on what uh, Cheryl just talked about of uh, when we hire and assess that we do it differently? I mean, you both talked about mm -hmm. the need to bring in women and minorities to be doing this, mm -hmm. but take it from there. What else has mm -hmm. got to be done? Well, I think key is you have to have a champion. I remember everyone talking about a mentor back when I was more junior in my career, and it's well beyond a mentor at this mm -hmm. point. You truly need a champion. You need someone that has a seat at the table that will advocate, and you also have to have corporations that have the, the moral compass to say, if we're promoting all of the people and they all look the same, are we really getting the best talent? If all of our suppliers look the same, are we really ensuring that we have the best value? Um, and those are tough questions, um, but I think those are the types of questions that need to happen at the table because we all know how those moves are made and how you're given the opportunity to become the tool and die maker. Um, and it's because someone spoke up for you and you have that champion in the room. I think companies need to have a very robust succession planning. Um, when we look at the immediate, the three to five, the five to ten, and you look at that and everybody on that chart is same, same ethnicity, same gender, there's a problem. And if you have the conversation that, you know, these, this particular segment is opting out. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in my career, women are opting out of manufacturing. Then you need to look at what's happening in that group. See, many times you're being exclusive <clears throat> without, being, without realizing you're exclusive. And sometimes it requires, and the companies that are doing well actually have a diversity champion that sits in those succession planning meetings ask those tough questions, makes people self-reflect. 
And I think that's truly needed. And not enough can be said about having a sponsor, mm -hmm. a champion, someone that says, yes, this person doesn't have every box checked, but I know they can do the job. Mm -hmm. You hear that often when it comes <clears throat> to males in succession planning meetings. Very seldom do you hear it for females or diverse candidates. Very true. You know, my husband and I had a conversation recently with our daughter, and she was talking about a, a job that her company wanted her to consider, and she said, I don't know that I have it. You know, I've got 90% of it, but this other 10%, I don't really know, and I need to wait until I have that. And my husband said, absolutely not. I can tell you the average man would say, I've got 50% of it. I can learn the rest exactly. of the 50%, and I'm going for it. I'm the best candidate. So part of it is we have to be better advocates yeah. ourselves. Um, but when you look at the data, and this is where I say companies may have to pull that out of the women, because we have gotten into um, really kind of a mentality that we don't deserve more often and we don't push for more. But when you look at the data, McKinsey did a study, and, and the study, I guess the latest data is probably from 2017, but they literally showed, and looking at a thousand companies, that if you look at those companies that have a diverse C-suite, literally for women, the earnings before interest and taxes increased in those companies 21%. For ethnic minorities being integrated into the company, 33%. So the data is there. This isn't just a, a feel-good conversation. Um, everyone gets to thrive and communities get to build and economies are stronger because the corporations and the companies that serve them are stronger when we're more diverse and inclusive. That's right. And the investors are, the investor community is starting to mm -hmm. notice it. You saw Goldman Sachs came out with something. There's something in their 2019 sustainability report about these are the guidelines we want to see more diversity on boards and in C-suites. Mm -hmm. uh, Goldman Sachs said no more IPOs with boards with all bros. And I just read something this morning about BlackRock, same thing. So mm -hmm. it's being um, really looked at by the investor community. And really, if you look at the way the population is going, mm -hmm. I think it's this year that 50.2% of the population under the age of 18 is going to come from a minority race or ethnic group. Right. So we're really going to be pushed into this, ready or not. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't aware of that, of uh, the McKinsey study or the, the Goldman Sachs mm -hmm. and, and BlackRock. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's power that's talking, power. right? I mean, that's that, them's the money people. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that's a that's a huge step forward. But Cheryl, I want to go back to something that you raised earlier. You said that maybe companies aren't looking in all the right places to get mm -hmm. the diversity and inclusion that uh, we're talking about here. Where should they be looking? Well, I think what, uh, the conferences that happen, there's um, STEM, women of color in STEM, mm -hmm. there's those types of conferences. I think they need to reach out to their employee resource groups if they have them, hopefully they have them, <laughs> and ask their uh, members of the diverse groups, uh, where can we look to get talent? There's a lot of historically black colleges that we can be looking at, and there's a ton of websites now that focus specifically on diverse talent. Uh, I think it's diversejobs.com, there's, there's a ton of them. And then being active in the community and holding some job fairs to recruit specifically diverse talent. Michelle, you put on a whole uh, minority development uh, program too. Is, are you doing some of the things that Cheryl's talking about? Absolutely, and, and I will tell you, probably about 10 years ago, our organization is primarily focused on building communities through diverse suppliers that work within the supply chains of some of the the, the best brands in the, in the region. Um, and we 
really have about $36 billion uh, annually in economic impact and we're responsible for about 210,000 jobs just from those minority businesses that we certify. With that, we started to recognize years ago that you had to build a pipeline well before they were even out of the secondary education system. So you'll see that we have programming and are continuing to actually reach even kids that are in the junior high school, high school era, and now even have scholarships for them because we're trying to introduce them to what isn't really the, the sexy market anymore, but trying to say th there are STEM careers that are very fulfilling. Um, it's hard to be what you haven't seen. Mm. And I think sometimes we forget that. And, and I think you have to start, you certainly start with your college age kids, but I think you also often have to go beyond that. And even we with the sourcing mindset have recognized that. Yeah. And I think the, the corporate model needs to change. Mm. So when we bring in young talent, we basically mold it to fit our corporate identity and way we behave. We don't allow that to synergistically develop and to maybe improve our performance in different ways or allow different ways of thinking. So instead of trying to break and mold, I think we need to bring people in and let them grow and let them help change the way we do business. And again, that kind of atmosphere will then promote more and more talent coming in. That's a great point. Honestly, when you look at um, Silicon Valley and what's happening there, that's exactly, exactly. what they harness. Exactly. They embrace the diversity and they allow the diversity to change them and to make them better. And for that, when you have so many different mindsets, experiences, um, um, whether it's ethnic, gender, age, um, and you get the benefit of that around the table trying to solve a problem or bring a solution, um, it's a beautiful process to watch. And I'm surprised you're saying that, mm -hmm. Michelle, about Silicon Valley, because the tech conferences mm -hmm. I've attended are way more way male and white mm -hmm. than any automotive mm -hmm. conference. I mean, and when I look at all these startups in the Valley, it is a board of bros, you know? And, uh, and I, I mean, white bros in this case, let, too. Let me be clear. Yeah. I, I wasn't saying it in terms of gender. What I was saying is they're, they're bringing people from lots of different ethnic groups together. And what they've done is tried to harness that. Their biggest, what I think their biggest benefit is, is capturing the brilliance of millennials. Mm -hmm. Unlike any other yep. industry has figured Indeed. out how to do, you have millennials that have come together and they're, they are unharnessing that, that strength. Do I think they get it right? Trust me, what we're doing in downtown Detroit with our new uh, model for this mobility incubator, it will have a 40% target for women and minority startups because we recognize the void. But we literally went to Silicon Valley and vetted the right partner. We selected Plug and Play for um, Plug and Play Detroit powered by Amplified, and we now have multiple OEM partners coming together, which again, groundbreaking to have them coming together to say how do we harness the strength, the collective strength, and how do we ensure that this great incubator we're building in the city at such a critical time brings in women and minorities from all over the globe that might be able to help change our companies yeah. if we allow them to harness. And your point about targets, what, what would happen if we actually set targets mm -hmm. and delivered on those targets in mm -hmm. our companies? It's, it's, it's a hard one to stretch. Every time we talked about targets for diversity, it just made everyone quiver. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, but you said that's clear, and if we have the targets, and, and some companies have started doing it in their boardrooms, it's happening. Some countries are starting to actually put targets in the boardrooms. 
It makes it happen. Is it good or bad? I don't know, but at least mm -hmm. it makes it happen. Right. right. And I think, you know, 15, 20 years ago, this topic of targets, it, actually there were quotas. That produced some bad behaviors. Yeah. You right. don't want to use the word and quota, you believe me. You don't want to do that. None of us want so unfortunately, quotas. when people hear the word diversity sometimes, it can be a little bit of a lightning rod because they remember those days of the quotas and, and people just get really nervous uh, mm -hmm. in talking Absolutely. about it. I had somebody approach me and said, you know, it's like climate change. <laughs> or some people think right. when you say diversity, oh, is this sensitivity training? So I think in addition to talking about diversity and having some targets, because I do think targets are important, we also need to be talking about inclusion. How do we make the environment and the culture more inviting and welcome so that people not only have a seat at the table, but have a voice at the table? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Cheryl, you, you even started an organization, Kadia. What are some of the things that you're doing that you're mm -hmm. really seeing producing results? Yeah, so we did, we launched a roundtable for diversity and inclusion in automotive at the end of last year. And we had this exploratory meeting just to say, who would be interested in bringing companies together to talk about best practices, what's working, what did we try that hasn't worked, and we almost had to get a bigger facility because there was so much interest. Mm -hmm. So we've launched a series uh, for 2020. We've got 15, 16 companies that have joined on. So that's one thing, and uh, very excited about that. The second thing is we're starting a diversity and inclusion barometer survey. Uh, so we've partnered with Gardner Intelligence on this, and we're going to be able to say this is the state of DNI in automotive. Here's the benchmark that everybody should be trying to achieve, and then that will inform the programming that we put on to deliver successful solutions. Mm -hmm. mm, very interesting, Michelle. Same that's question. Awesome. You know, you, you run this development council. What kinds of things are you doing that really are showing results? Right. I have to tell you, one of the, the best things that we've done is started to just pay attention to the customer and follow their lead. Um, one example of that is workforce development. We saw that as a pain point, not only for the minority business entrepreneurs that we work with, but also for the corporations. And in addressing that pain point, we alleviate a litany of, of issues for both of those, those audiences. But I do have to go back to your comment about the quota because it, it always kind of sticks in my craw that we say that because at the end of the day, no one wants to just be the person that was in on the quota. Right. There's not a mm -hmm. business owner in our organization that wants to be labeled the minority right. business owner. But they do want a seat at the table and they do want the ability to compete. And I think it's the same whether you're looking to be interviewed for a job and have the position to actually move up in that job so that you don't have to change industries. But I, I think people simply want to be able to say that they had an open door that allowed them to compete with everyone else. Um, because I think whether we recognize it or not, they're in visible quotas that we're meeting now. And those are the ones that say everyone has to look the same, they have to be the same religion, they have to be the same gender, about the same age, and oh, if you like khaki pants, everyone that works for you all of a sudden <laughs> likes khaki <laughs> pants as well. But we just don't talk about it. So, so I have to say, I think there are so many organizations that are doing a good job in Michigan. Um, what I'd like to see us do if I had like my dream for the coming decade, I wasn't even aware of her organization until meeting her today. Um, and I'd like to see us really start to harness more of that to help each other mm -hmm. and to make sure. So I will now make it a point to make people more aware of the organizations and, and what they're actually doing to actually help move the needle on this subject. You know, at the, the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how women themselves have to, you know, step up, lean in, maybe. 
Carla, you did it. You achieved a very senior position at Nissan, Japanese company, mm -hmm. and they tend to be even far less diverse than an American company. Right. What kind of advice from a personal standpoint, motivation, determination, grit, whatever it was, that drove your career that you could share with others? Yeah, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, and it was one time I thought I should have been promoted and I wasn't promoted because I'd been working really hard, I'd been delivering everything on time. I didn't get promoted and it was, I was so furious. And I went in and I talked to my boss's boss and his first comment was, I didn't know you wanted to be promoted. Mm. So this light bulb went off and I went and talked to somebody else. And they said, Carla, if you expect somebody to manage your career, you're gonna be in your job forever. You need to make your own career plan and you need to talk to people about it. You need to let them know what your expectation is. Now, of course, that has to come, you know, it has to balance what the company needs, but it's up to you. And that's the advice that I give to everyone. Don't sit and wait. We tend to think, you know, we're good students. Everybody sees what I'm doing. They see I'm doing something on time and I'm doing a great job and I'm overachieving. No, they don't. Not unless you talk about it. And women are often hesitant to pound on our chest and say how great we are. We have to do it. And you have to be continually talking about, this is what I expect, this is where I wanna go. It, but you have to always deliver. You have to be technically competent, and you have to deliver. That's the best advice I always give when I'm, I'm mentoring. And I had between 14 and 16 mentees on a yearly basis. It was important to me, and they weren't all women. I had a lot of male mentees as well. Um, everyone needs advice and support, and that's one of the best things you can do as a leader in a company. Mm -hmm. Cheryl, same thing. I mean, you, you did, Lena. You you raised your hands. You were washing dishes. And... <laughs> well, you know, I love Carla's story about being uh, upset because you weren't promoted. I had a very similar situation and where I worked really, really hard one year. I had two roles. I was going for my MBA. I was helping the company hire. And I thought I was going to get, you know, the top achiever performance review, and I didn't. And once I calmed down and had a rational conversation with my boss, he said, you know, you're not working on the things that I care about. Hmm. I was like, whoa. So I was not working on the things that added to the bottom line, the high value activities. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just was a huge change because it, it really, I looked at the way I was approaching my day to day so much differently. And uh, I wasn't bogged down anymore with the low value tasks. So my home life improved, my professional life improved, and got promoted, got the biggest bonus and the biggest raise that I've ever had in my career. So it's looking at things a little different. And then I agree with you on letting people know what you're interested in. This is my goal and this is what I want and this is the help I need to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Michelle, any similar stories? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and I have to say, at, at this point in my life, I, I only select the jobs that are right. And um, I'm never uh, accused of being shy and I am the person that is also the first to speak up for other women. Um, you know, when they say, oh, this, this woman, is, she's, so, she's so aggressive. And I'm like, but if, if a male did the same thing, we would say, wow, he's assertive, he yeah. takes charge, yeah. look at how he's getting things done. So I call out the double standard, and I think we have to do more of that. Um, my seat at the table and my sphere of influence isn't the same as hers or hers, but we all have an opportunity, as do you, to say, 
Uh, we're calling her aggressive, but let's talk about it. Would we call her aggressive if her gender were different? Let's really, let's make ourselves at least have that conversation. And I think sometimes you don't even realize the seeds that you might be planting, because that person might be in the boardroom as they're making that decision about someone that's going to be moved in a succession planning process. And uh, just having that conversation and, and, and using your voice to help people that you may not even know, I think is, is often important. And I love the fact that you included John. We need more of the <laughs> Absolutely. in this yes. conversation. Hey, look, we're, we're part of the problem. We're gonna be a big part of the solution. Yeah. No question about it. Carla, you, you raised a point earlier and you're gonna get me up on my soapbox on this one. <laughs> okay. The auto industry doesn't do enough to promote itself. All the different car companies spend billions of dollars every single year on advertising and marketing, but it's only to move the yeah. metal. They don't market themselves as a corporation. They definitely do not market the auto industry as an attractive place to go. You're doing something very interesting with uh, the management briefing seminars, the conference that the Center for Auto Research puts on every year. You're bringing a lot of students in. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're getting corporations to sponsor those students. And I know having spoken to them, they come up to the conference, they're wowed by what's going on in Indeed. the industry. How do we make more of that happen? I think we have to really open up the internships and the co-op opportunities. Never before we, have we needed industry themselves to start talking about themselves. That means even going into the college classrooms or going into the high school classrooms and talking about, gee, we are computers on wheels today and we're gonna mm -hmm. solve these societal problems by all of the things we're developing. Because at the end of the day, people coming into a company need to understand that they are going to impact somebody's life. This is really vital and it's really, really vital for females. We really want to, at the end of the day, feel like we have done something spectacular for society. Um, bringing in more students, bringing them up to MBS. I always have five students that are working at, at CAR, five interns, and I always talk to them at the end of their assignment. And they said, you know what? When I came here, automotive was way down. I wasn't even thinking about it in my career, mm -hmm. but now it's way up here because they get to see and experience and learn about really the cutting edge work that we're doing. Yeah, uh, Michelle, we're getting down to the end here. Uh, Carla mentioned internships. The, the thing I hear is apprenticeships, Absolutely. not so much internships. Absolutely, and, and I'll be honest, even with the Mobility Incubator, we're looking at those apprenticeships and saying, how do we start to give people the real skill, but also start to help them at an early age to define what their path is going to be so that they do get into the right roles and are considered for those operational positions. Real good, we're gonna have to wrap this up. Thank you, very interesting conversation. Carla Balo with CAR. Michelle Robinson with the Michigan Devel Minority Development Council. Cheryl Thompson with Kadia. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having the conversation. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM 
Audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.